welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends, if you would find your seats, make your way back, that would be awesome. That would be great. I figured since I turned 40 this weekend, I would act my age and dress my age, so I've got a sport coat on for you today. There you go. There's one, uh, one, one friend of ours was telling this story, and she, uh, she, was, she was talking with her friend, uh, older woman, and she said, so tell me about this church, and Anne said, well, let me say it this way, there's not a pressed shirt in the house. <laughs> That's how somebody describes Awaken, so here's to you, Anne. Um, my name is Micah, if we haven't met. I'm the lead pastor here. Shocker. Um, one thing I'd like to remind you of is that Dan Lucas, who uh, led us in our call to worship, is um, we're planning to plant a church here in, in about five months or so, which is, yeah, big news, big news. Um, we did a series a while back called Emanate, where the culmination of that series was sort of the, the, the vision in, uh, behind why we're doing this and why we feel called and, and led by God to do it. So if you are a podcaster, that's important info. But um, just a couple of things. Um, Dan, we're sort of setting our sights on a, a network of parishes that, that share the name Awaken and then a commitment to the mission and vision and values of this church, but with local lead pastors in each one. So um, be, uh, be, pra- be in prayer. Uh, that I, I absolutely uh, believe that some of you will go out and help start this new work with Dan and Sinead and their team. Um, so be praying about that, that maybe that's, maybe that's you. Um, and the other thing is, uh, be in prayer for Dan and Sinead. Uh, I don't remember a lot of things, but I do remember some things uh, about planting a church. There are some things you never forget. Uh, it's hard work. It's really hard work. And good things are often opposed in the world. Amen? And so remember Dan and Sinead in prayer, if you would, as you think about Awaken and their efforts. Um, last week, we spoke about Joseph. We're in a series called Joseph, creatively titled by our marketing department, and uh, I, I, I argued uh, this idea that when we say Hineni, this word we looked at last week, uh, I sort of closed with this, that when we say Hineni, we're responsible for certain things, or to certain things. And I think last week, if I were honest, Micah the prophet showed up a little bit more than maybe Micah the pastor. And so I'd like to uh, invite you to, or maybe ask you to welcome Micah the pastor for just a moment. Um, someone approached me last week after Sunday, and very graciously, but honestly, offered, uh, they said, Micah, is it possible that for some in the room it felt maybe a little bit more like a fence than a well, if you're familiar with our Wells and Fences series? And uh, I realized as I reflected on that that I maybe could have done a better job setting up one thing in specific that would have helped, I think, make it feel less like a fence and more like a well. So I'm going to try to do that just briefly before we jump into this morning's teaching. Uh, Last week's teaching was not about politics, if you were here. It was not about our president. It was not about partisanship. Uh, It was uh, was something, I hoped it would be a little bit uh, like a click above that. I didn't mention any of those things on purpose because I didn't want it to be a conversation about that, which is often very divisive. Uh, Regardless of who you voted for, there are... According to the UN, in 2015, there are more than 60 million displaced people in the world right now. And there are more than 21 million refugees in the world, over half of which are children under the age of 18. And I think it is abundantly clear in Scripture, if you're reading it honestly, that those who follow Jesus should care about that. 
I think that's part of our voice and our uh, call in the world as the church. And so there were this many refugees before an executive order was issued, and there are still this many refugees today. And so, uh, again, it's not about partisan, it's not about, pol- uh, it's not about parties or, or politics necessarily, but rather about those who follow Jesus in the world are responsible to our fellow brothers and sisters as humans to be working for shalom, to be working for peace in the world. Uh, and as I tried to mention last week, this is going to take all, all shapes and forms, uh, and it should, depending on each person and their passions and their resources and their political persuasions, if I'm honest, and that's a good thing. Uh, as the church, we have to care. I don't care how you care, but I implore you to care, Right? So if by chance my teaching last week felt like it leaned a little one way or the other, uh, not my intent, I apologize if that's how it felt, Um, but I I stand by this, which I tried to say last week, that the church is responsible when we say Hineni, we are responsible to the living God and we're sent in love and for peace in the world. Amen? Amen. So... Joseph, everybody, chapter 39 of Genesis, if you have your Bibles, please find them, and we're going to read from there in just a moment. Just as a uh, reminder and frame of reference, if you're just joining us and jumping into this series, Joseph is the 11th brother of the the favorite wife uh, to a guy named Jacob, who then becomes Israel, name change, and uh, he's hated by his brothers because of a number of things, one because of his coat his arrogance, his lack of maturity, and the sharing of his dreams when maybe he should have kept that uh, close to the chest, as they say. He's sent by his father who loves him to visit his brothers who hate him to see to their shalom. This is one of the things we talked about last week. And so his brothers decide to kill him. They throw him in a well, and then they're like, wait a second, we could make money off of him. So they pull him out of the well, sell him to a slave trader, and off he goes to Egypt to Potiphar's house, which is where we find ourselves today. So if you have your Bible, stand. If you can, we'll read from Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather as your church, uh, it's my hope and my prayer, as always, that you might... Uh, actually that we would have eyes to see you, not that you would be with us because you are, but that our hearts would be open and our ears would be open and our eyes would be open to see and hear and sense the love that uh, the scriptures attest that you are. So may that be true, God, I pray, for us and for my friends this morning. In the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Last week I mentioned this idea that in the Bible, in the Hebrew text, When something is mentioned for the first time, it's often very important. We looked at this word love, achava. It shows up in Genesis 22 when Abraham and Isaac go up to the mountain. When something's mentioned for the first time, it's critical. And in this passage, Genesis 39, verse 2, it's the first time in the Hebrew that it explicitly says that God is with someone. For the first time in the Bible, 39 chapters in, the author says, Yahweh was with Joseph. Now, if the doctrine of the incarnation matters, and I think it does, that God is with us, 
then the first place in the scriptures where it mentions explicitly that God is with someone should matter, right? It doesn't say that God was with Adam and Eve. It doesn't say God was with Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But it does say right here in Genesis 39 too, that Yahweh was with Joseph. So what does that come to teach us? I want to ask three questions this morning, and the questions are, what is the incarnation? So we're going to talk about that. That's an important one. When we do Discover Awaken, the little class for new folks, they often ask, um, like these values that we have over here painted on the screen, they say, what is incarnational? What do you mean by that? So I want to talk about that briefly. I want to ask the question, uh, when does it come? When does God show up, as it were? When does the incarnation happen? And then lastly, um, what happens when you don't feel it or hear it or see it? Because I think for some of us, that's the case. And so I want to be honest about that as well. So first, what is incarnation? According to the Websters and the, the internets, uh, this is a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, spirit, or abstract quality. Right? So when something, an idea, or a god in this case, a, a, a concept, becomes embodied or enfleshed, this is incarnation. It's incarnated. And in Christian theology, this idea of incarnation is like a capstone course, right? So if you have a major in college, you have like one course that's really, really important. It's often called a capstone course. This idea of incarnation is capstone. It is foundational to what's known as systematic theology. Now, whether you agree or disagree with systematic theology, it's a way of understanding Christian ideas, right? Revelation, or the fact that God is revealing God's self to us in this form of Jesus, also known as the incarnation, is the bedrock. You can't have any of the rest of it without that. So what is incarnation? John chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2 are the most important texts that we have to sort of flesh this idea out. So this is what John says in chapter 1 of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then in 14, he goes on to say this. The word, which he was referencing in the first two verses, became flesh and dwelt among us, or made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John seems to think that the word of God is bigger than the Bible, and that it actually refers to what happens when Jesus, as Eugene Peterson says, takes up residence in the neighborhood, right? And made his dwelling among us. Philippians chapter 2, Paul goes on and he says this, in your relationship with one another, he's speaking to the church, have the same mindset of Jesus, which is this mindset right here. Who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing to be or by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what is incarnation? Incarnation is when God shows up in the form of Jesus. Have you ever had somebody show up for you? Like at a difficult time in your life, or when you needed something or someone, and that person like was there, they were present, they showed up. And often, I would argue, they actually embodied the thing that we needed from God in that moment, right? So we know something is true about God, not because it's an abstract idea in our mind, not because it's zeros and ones on a screen, but because it's got a face and a voice and hands and a hug. 
It's embodied. Somebody showed up. Uh, I've told this story before, but I got kicked off my golf team in college, which um, as an RA at my Christian university and the worship leader in chapel was a little embarrassing. That's a joke. You can, la- you can laugh at that. I'm beyond past it. I'm told it doesn't even mean anything to me anymore. <laughs> it was so embarrassing, so embarrassing. It was awful. I was so ashamed of myself. And the drive from Colorado Springs where it happened, <laughs> I was a little hot-headed. I ran a little hot, like the RPM meter was pegged at about 9,000 when I was 18 or 19. But I'm 40 now, so it's not quite that anymore. So I got kicked off this golf team, got mad in front of a four-star retired general of the Air Force. And he's like, what in the fill in the blank is this kid doing? My coach was like, you're done. So uh, I was just, I was so ashamed of myself and I was so embarrassed. And Laura, then my girlfriend, now my wife, showed up. And upon like coming back to school and getting off the van, she was the chest that I buried my head in and cried. She was the person who walked with me and held my embarrassment and shame and guilt. When somebody shows up, that's incarnation. When God shows up, it's incarnation. The heart of the Christian story, and I would say it simply in these four ideas, God chooses or God chose out of love to come near in a body. This is the essence of the gospel. Yahweh was with Joseph. What does that mean? God chose. God chooses. Uh, In all the other stories about gods or the gods in the ancient Near East and all the other creation narratives, the Christian story, the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, is the only one where the divine chooses humanity, elects out of love, not out of obligation, not out of duty, not out of pragmatism, not out of anything other than desire and love, God chooses and God chose. I remember when I found out about an addiction that my my dad had, a gambling addiction. And uh, I... There, so for Alcoholics Anonymous, there's Al-Anon, which is like for kids of, of alcoholics, and there's, there's that version for kids of uh, parents who are addicted to gambling. I don't know what they call it. Maybe Gammonon. Uh, and I remember it was actually on West 7th, right over here, in like the basement of a funeral home, and I remember listening to this counselor and this lady, and she was trying to like process you know, with us. I was 18, and I remember thinking how much it hurt. Um, to think about the fact that my dad chose something else. And she was saying that like when, when an addict is choosing, there's, there's lots of things happening in their brain chemically, and so it's not totally that your dad didn't choose that or, or you. But, uh, and I just remember thinking, if you go back far enough, there was a moment and there was a choice, and it wasn't me, and it wasn't us, it wasn't family. What does it mean to say that the divine, the God of the universe, the one who holds it all, chooses you, chooses me, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of duty, not out of pragmatism, but out of love, desire. God says, I choose you. That's profound. God chooses out of love to come near. Many of us have a a vision or an image of God as distant and far off. And if anything 
there isn't anything more than the doctrine of the incarnation that says this is not true. That God has come near, so near that to be born from a womb of of an unwed teenage woman as a baby, that God has come that near. And then in a body, God chooses out of love to come near in a body. So the incarnation that God is with us doesn't come in the form of some abstract idea that's really hard to get. It comes as near as your own skin, your own flesh and blood, your own body. When God chooses to show up and reveal God's self in its fullness, the text says, Paul says, and then again in Hebrews, the fullness of God is revealed in Christ, in the incarnation, and it happens in a body, which means by virtue, by implication, that our bodies matter. Your bodies matter. If you've read the book Between the World and Me, you know what I'm about to say. Our bodies matter. And I would go as far as to say our African bodies and our Hispanic bodies and our Syrian bodies and our Asian bodies and our native bodies and our German bodies and our Swedish bodies, they matter. Now, gang, to my Caucasian brothers and sisters in the room, of whom there are many, I pray that there are proportionally less. I want to ask you to pay attention. I want to ask you to pay attention to what's happening in your spirit in the next two minutes. I was just in midwinter, and uh, I was at a, a seminar, and it was called the Rec- Reconciled and Reconciling Church. And I remember sitting in this seminar with people that I loved and that I trusted, and I remember feeling defensive. And I remember like, def- like my defenses rising up in me, wanting to defend myself. And so I want to ask you just for a moment or two, if you trust me, which <laughs> jury's out on that one, right? To notice it if it happens and to not let it drive the bus, okay? Any theology, any belief about God that does not take into effect or include the implications of the bodies we inhabit is incomplete and truncated. And it does not take into consideration the profound nature of the incarnation. Now that's a sentence that I was proud of when I wrote it, so I'm fitting to say it again. (laughs) Any theology that does not take into consideration the effect and the implications of the bodies we inhabit, whether they be black, brown, white, or other, any any, any belief about God that doesn't take into effect the implications of our bodies is truncated and incomplete and does not truly understand the profound nature that God shows up in a body. An Arab one, a Middle Eastern one, a Jewish one. I'm reading a book called The Death of Race, and he says this, but like my baptism, the Christian symbol, which is the Christian symbol of participating in Jesus' death and resurrection, I must name the story that is being put to death. I must struggle to discern what must die and what must live, even as I emerge from the water a new person. 
So one of the dominant ideas and narratives in the Christian story is baptism. We are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. There are parts of me that need to die in my body so that other things can be born in my body because where else would they be born and where else would they be dead? Is it possible that for many in our world, in our country, in our churches... Their bodies have never been recognized as beautiful and worthy of redeeming to the degree that others have. And so when we ask, because of the gospel, that things in us and in our bodies should be put to death so that other things might come to life, that might sound different depending on the body you inhabit. Amen, Brother Micah. So I want to challenge us as we think about the incarnation and the withness of God with us, that it must, it has to include the body you inhabit and that I inhabit. And the implications of that body and what has been said about that body and what is valued about that body or not valued about that body in our culture. And as the church of Jesus Christ, who is one a new humanity that Paul talks about, Christ is making, a new humanity that was two and is now one, that it might be good for some of us to think about that when we've never had to think about it before. Amen, Micah. Yahweh was with Joseph. God chooses out of love and comes near to us in a body. What's fascinating about the Joseph story is when the incarnation happens. Not only just that God's, or the, the text says Joseph, God was with Joseph, but also when it happens. Uh, you might think it's after Joseph is promoted, right? He gets promoted to Potiphar's house. He's handsome. He's good looking. He does well. He manages things well. He's promoted in Potiphar's house to the top of the deal, top of the food chain, right? God is with Joseph then. No, it actually doesn't happen there. You might think it happens when Joseph is, is, is promoted up the food chain in Egypt. He's the second in command of all of Egypt. He's the right hand of the Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet. God's got to be with him there. Actually, it comes, arguably, at the worst, the lowest, the darkest place in Joseph's entire life. He's just been traded, well, sold by his brothers. His own flesh and blood have turned their backs on him. They have absolutely sabotaged him and sold him into slavery. And he has walked Dothan, which is where he's found, to Egypt. It's about 260 miles or so. That's St. Paul to Grand Marais. He's just walked that distance in chains, in shackles, I looked up, like, what would that have looked like? And this is one image that I found this week of slaves who were in shackles walking somewhere, okay, just to help you picture it. There are no bathroom breaks on these trips. These are not tour trips. There's no tour guide. You basically just go when you got to go. You know what I'm saying? So 260 miles of walking, and then you show up. With what on you? Who knows? And it's here, in this moment, so unbelievably fascinating, it's here in this moment that the author says, God is with Joseph, here. What does that come to teach us? It doesn't come when we have it all together, or it doesn't only come when we have it all together. It doesn't only come when the world is in your hands and you have power and control. Emmanuel which isn't just good for Christmas, the incarnation of God 
that God is with you comes in the pit of despair and in darkness and in, in, in silence when you hear nothing. Jesus says that blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom. Many people think that the Beatitudes are something we should be moving towards, we should be ascribing to. It's like a spiritual status we got to get to, poor in spirit. I think that's a rubbish interpretation. I would argue that actually what Jesus is saying is the poor in spirit are the spiritual zeros, the bankrupt, the losers, the rejects, the ones who are down and out, beaten down and downtrodden. It's there in that moment. Blessed are you. Why? Because God is with you there. So maybe you're here this morning and you've had an abortion. Maybe you've had an affair. Maybe you struggle with mental illness, anxiety, depression, any number of things. Maybe you're struggling with your own sexual identity. Maybe your parents are AWOL. Maybe your kids are estranged. Maybe your parents are estranged. Maybe you've had the death of someone you love close to you. And I would just say to you this morning, whatever you walked in the room with, as low as it gets, the text seems to be screaming, God is there. God is with you there. Now, what happens when you don't feel it? What happens when your experience of truth is something other than what you might know in your head to be true? To which I'm going to need a little assistance. My wife, Laura, if you would. Good morning, Awaken. Here's a new and different day that I'm at the microphone. Um, Micah asked me to share something that in an average week I would have politely refused. Uh, but he did turn 40, so I said, okay. <laughs> and I said, happy birthday. <laughs> um, I've been in church forever and have only found new breath in these stories when I've studied with Rabbi Allen which is no offense to Micah, but he's best as my husband and not my pastor. In a study two years ago, we were learning about Joseph's life, um, and I became more interested and wrote in my notes, Joseph never hears God speak to him, but God is very near him. I felt like for the first time, I identified with someone in the scriptures. Joseph was my guy. Here's some stats I stole from Micah's notes. While it takes up most chapters of any single narrative about a single person in the Bible, Joseph never hears directly from God in the whole story, even though he does have dreams, but they seem pretty um, indirect and confusing. Adam and Eve seem to hear from and speak, from, speak with God. Abraham seems to hear from and speak with God. Noah seems to hear from and speak with God. Jacob, Moses. But Joseph, in the entire narrative of Genesis 37 to 50, never hears directly from God. I feel like I've spent a good many years trying to hear the still, small voice of God, like everyone tells you. When my youngest went to kindergarten, I breathed a sigh of relief and spent many hours in this great big chair in our old house, drinking tea, journaling, and waiting for God to speak. Nothing. I took a solo road trip to Idaho and ran a relay race in the mountains, giving God plenty of space to say something. Nothing. And during my leg of the race in the middle of the night, that nothing was very scary. But in the transition from sitting and waiting to running and waiting, I began to connect that for me, there was something in the movement of my body that helped me feel a little closer to God in some way. And being outside in nature also helped me feel more connected. Even as I feel that most of my life God has been silent, I can't shake the belief that God is with me. 
And to be honest, maybe there have been a few times where God did nudge something inside me that surely wasn't from me. When we were in the stressful process of buying a new house, I had a moment where I felt like God faintly put in my head, Laura, I know what you need. The house we bought is a sanctuary on a dead end with only one neighbor to worry about and lots of trees and a field to look out onto. We have so many people in our life to engage with that maybe God did indeed know that we needed a place to rest. A lot more often, though, I have felt that dear close friends in my life have spoken on God's behalf, words of truth and strength and a remembering of who I am, and I'll take that. So to my fellow friends who feel like God is not speaking directly and you're looking for more clear writing on the wall, what if we stood up into the belief that God is with us, working for good on our behalf, as in the story of Joseph? And can we have eyes to see it? The only other character in the scriptures that I feel a kinship to is Hagar. And in the desert, she named God the one who sees. So what if we indeed believe that God sees? Would you pray with me as we move into a time of silence? God, this morning, as we think about and read this story about a young man that the text claims you were with, I pray that for all of us in this room, whatever we have brought with us, whatever we carry, whether it be joy or pain, excitement or anxiety, that it would all belong somehow in the benevolent heart of you. So God, as we carve out just a bit of space to be quiet, speak to us, uh, nudge us, remind us that you are in fact with us, that you are here. So here we are. Grace and peace, my friends blessings to you. Go and serve the Lord. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team's available. Respond to the the poster on your way out. Love you. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community. We want to build a community. See you next time.